0: Hello, I'm Andrew Gentile.
1: And I'm Ariana.
0: And you're listening to Behind the Flicks. This show is all about me, sharing as many facts as I know about filmmaking and directors and behind-the-scenes info about movies and whatnot to Ariana. And you'll join us for the ride. Our guest today is the fascinating Chris Smith, a writer and line producer. Chris, how are you? I am good. That Fair enough. Intri- that, that's a good intro, man solid yeah thank you i've i've used it a number of times exactly well, uh, 24 to be exact you should do another take and really
2: just enjoy it just have fun with it it's the best right. direction ever right yeah
0: <laughs> and you're listening to behind the flicks <laughs> <laughs> um so chris uh yes. would you be please be able to share a bit about yourself
2: um yes um so The main bits are, grew up on a cattle ranch in a uh, rural, uh, I consider myself half redneck, uh, despite the polo shirt. Um, (laughs) (laughs) I still go to gas stations for coffee. I make a hillbilly bokeh. You know, it's it's, good. Right, it's better than other things, but I did French press this this morning. (laughs) Um, Yeah. (laughs) Uh, grew up on a ranch, found theater in high school and went, oh, these are, these are my weirdos. Um, they get me. Um, pursued theater through junior college and then University of California at Irvine and got a really big head about myself because they, I kept doing a whole bunch of things. Um was one of the few people out of there with honors in acting and directing, and I gave the commencement address for the arts and humanities graduation. I want to say 2003, nice, um, which makes me a very old man. With two, with a Michael Chekhov quote and two Calvin and Hobbes,
0: nice, um,
2: yeah, um, because I was so studious that I pulled from one, one obscure acting teacher and Calvin and Hobbes. Um, That's how education yeah, works, right? like, yeah, just do what you do. That's, that's fine. It's arts education, right? Uh, You go to your, your wheelhouse. Um, I did, I then went into LA, did the normal thing of trying to audition as an actor, not really caring about anything. Um, because nothing was really great. Um, didn't really get involved in any of the various things. I just started writing, uh, because that's always what I wanted to do. But, didn't pursue it when other options were given to me. Um eventually got onto an independent film quit attempt job to work on a twenty thousand dollar feature film um in every department basically. Like I re-floored a guy's house, um PA'd, um help learned how to do um movie magic scheduling. Uh, but that that opportunity led to other PA work and then other um I got it, it was funny to me because I got known as the white guy who will work on black films. <laughs> Explain. Yeah um the casting director from that film, uh it was a it was basically a black filmmaking crew on that one and I met them through I want to say it was film independent back day then in LA, um at a writing thing or something. And I would I would just help. Um, The casting director would help cast other black films, but she would be brought in in the early part of the process, and then I'd be. uh, She she really liked me, so she talked to executives or writers, and usually with independent film, you have a writer who's really excited, but don't they don't know how to budget or schedule? Like, I want to make this film. Um, I don't know. I kind of know how to do it, but I don't really know how to do it. So I need a person. And then they'd talk to their casting director friend, and she would throw work my way. So I did like almost immediately three films right in a row as a line producer, coordinator, production manager. I think almost in that order, um, and then moved into uh, also started moving up the line in commercials and infomercials, like doing the jump around. Like oh, you were a PA two years ago. The production manager for this infomercial company is moving on. Do you want to do these every couple of months? Like, yes, they pay very well. Um, and eventually, uh, got picked to come over and do some weird creative stuff in the reality world. If anybody remembers, dude, what would happen on the Cartoon Network? Their one live-action semi jackass with cartoon influence show. I built a lot of weird props. I was the guy that built things that weren't. Stunts, special effects, or art department like when all three departments went, no, they handed it to uh me as an associate but <laughs> um, met, met people that got me involved in challenge producing for a few shows, um which is bananas um and then they found out that I had line producing and production management experience. So I started just sort of jumping around for the same executives for a while um, until I got a job as an executive in charge of production for a reality company. Um, That was the first time I had a consistent paycheck uh, where I wasn't doing the usual um, scramble.
1: How many years did it take from when you graduated to when you got the
2: job 10, 12? Ooh. Yeah. Yeah. Sounds that's a lot right. of
1: work. Consistency. Yeah. Good for you. Uh,
2: right. Um, and then I hated it. Mm. <laughs> sure. <laughs> um, well, that's about the time I got my, uh, I almost ran over a dog um, who became my dog. Oh, wow. Yeah. Leaving a meeting in Glendale took a turn. Anybody who's in Glendale and tries to escape Glendale on side roads knows that you have to go up one or two to get a light. Um, I almost ran over my little guy. Um, And all of a sudden, I was like, I have this thing at home that I want to get back to that I'm not seeing, and I'm not doing anything I really enjoy. Uh, First step into the destruction of my previous career. Uh, (laughs) It's like, oh, I'm going to make a sacrifice for this thing that I love versus this thing that am I going to do this for the rest of my life? I hope not. Um, And eventually moved back up to Northern California to the ranch, got back into theater because I love it. Um, Got into writing more, uh, decreased the overhead so that I could focus on things. like I do one or two um, larger jobs in LA and other places a year. Uh, Most of the time, just trying to, uh, build the life that I want. Um, and so I think the biggest thing that happened in the last couple of years to my philosophy that really changed was figuring out hills that I'll die on uh, thematically for uh, work. And all of a sudden it just, I care about what's being said and done in a film or a play. Um, and I want to be a force of good for some people um in the film uh, in in art you know i want to say something of value that helps move us forward as only art can do and
0: story can do uh chris can you explain what those note cards are behind you
2: yes uh so i have two used to be somebody's closet doors that i now do the serial killer cards on um (laughs) but I actually had a friend stay over in an apartment in LA one time. Uh, just passed out drunk on my couch. Woke up and had never been in my apartment. And above the couch was this. <laughs> <laughs> um, above just, the
1: couch, like this ceiling?
2: Uh, no, on the wall, just above it. So he wakes up oh, and he okay. goes, "Are my kidneys here? What? What? Uh, <laughs> what is it? No. Just uh, no, yeah. Uh, so, far um, one is a full length play." in beat structure as there are no scenes really just act one act two and this is the progression on a uh one act with a beat progression on a one act that i need to take from 70 pages of a vomit draft down to uh 40 ish that has been driving me nuts because multiple it's not a two character back and forth it's not scenes, it's starting, a, as the curtain opens, it's one scene with six characters, each with a thing to do and say for a straight hour. Then, Which, you know, like a scene, you go, all right, we need this information, so I'm going to go over here and I'm going to talk to this person. Um, I need this thing, and there's a little bit of character development and our exchange, and then I'm going to go. And the scene's over. That was I did that in my action voice um, <laughs> and then, um, but in this it's like you have to figure out in the same way scenes as there, there's one scene. So it's just beats. Yeah. Of, I need this thing, but also how do I get the four other people who are in the room to not be a part of the conversation,
1: but still have something to do.
2: Right. Um, and you've only got, It's a cheap trick that I learned ages ago. You can only give one person the, I don't want to be here. I'm going to look at my phone. You got one character that can be the, I don't care at all. I'm just
0: looking up a thing. I don't care. (laughs) (laughs) And and even then you kind of have to limit it throughout the the piece you're doing. Right. Because eventually
2: that character has got to be intrigued. or Why is he there? Why are they existing? Yeah. Yeah. Wow, um,
1: that's an endeavor
2: it's It's a lot of fun yeah. uh, since I said this is what I'm doing now um, with all my free time uh, whenever I have it it's it's been a fun
0: process.
1: I love the term vomit draft
0: uh, uh, for, our, for our listeners at home, can you explain what a vomit draft is? Um, yeah, it is I feel ready. I've done
2: whatever prep work I want to do, and I just have to start writing action and dialogue Uh, get it all out as much as you possibly can Um, racing to the end hopefully if you've been doing this long enough and you understand the medieval baby uh, term um, I hope I coined it because then I could sell it at some point Um, the you're just trying to get as much as you can out on your screenplay on your play on your novel your essay whatever um, and then going back and taking a look at it Hmm. Um, So whatever layers you think, um, I I believe in the layer approach of of writing, Mm -hmm. Um, um, whatever layers you think you've got, you just start writing them, and then you figure out what the holes are later.
0: Terrific. Yeah.
1: Yeah, nothing gets written until it's on the page. You can't analyze anything until you can actually analyze it. 100%. 100%. Kind of popping it up at some point.
2: <laughs> and, and you have to just understand that that's what it's going to be. It's as much as you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, I, I'm a part of a couple writing groups and the youngins, I have to remind them what you're doing is just getting through what you know at the moment. And then you go back, you take a look at it. This is what drafting is. You go back, what layer am I missing? Oh, uh, my plot's really strong, but my character development. Um, or my character journey isn't very good in this, in this current iteration. Um, so I'm going to focus on that next. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, all my secondary characters aren't very strong. I'm going to go focus on that. Or I really did a lot of great character exploration, but the plot is not as strong as I want, you know, all those things. Yeah. Uh, differentiation and dialogue. My, uh, I didn't write really good descriptions and action. I did a lot of dialogue. Everybody's got their, um, which um nobody's perfect the first time through and everybody's got their strong suit that you eventually add stuff
0: to can i go back for just a moment um you you oh right okay no that's okay um that was good enough there's no questions fair enough (laughs) Yeah. What a but, shell!
1: What a shell! Let's chip away. Chip away. Right. Yeah. <laughs> no, but
0: I, I actually do have a question that I'm going to totally ignore your uh, answer. Um, <laughs> good. No, but how, how would good. you define? Just for the listeners at home, how would you define black movies? How would you define? Oh,
2: uh, predominantly, uh, predominantly uh, black producer. Like right? I, I would say, the producers, uh, directors, uh, majority of the cast. Um, the governing body, I guess, is a, as a as being mostly uh,
0: run in the black community. great. I just had to make I want to make sure I got that in there just for yeah. clarity's sake.
2: and it's fun being it's it's fun being a fairly standard white guy um, walking into a room and sort of understanding that you're now the minority and people don't necessarily trust you. It was a really nice window into that side of, um, like your little empathy sensor goes off and goes, oh, this is what everyone else feels (laughs) all the time. Like, ah, I get it now. I am now more, 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 more liberal. Got it.
0: Yeah.
1: I think that's wonderful, because some things you can only learn by really experiencing it for yourself. I mean, you could try to understand and be like, "Well, that makes sense," but to actually feel the feelings and get the looks from people is a whole other experience. So, I think I think that's really cool that you were able to expose yourself to that and you kept at it.
2: Yeah, no, it was well. It in the end, it was just I liked the people I was working with. Um, I, I think one of the things that Los Angeles really taught me. Um, and the theater really teaches me because theater takes in the orphans of everyone. Anybody who's got a bone to pick with society ends up in the theater, um, which means a bunch of people who look like me are not needing to go somewhere to shout their truth and try and get people to listen, right? Um, so I find the um, I find it really interesting that by the time I spent fifteen years in film and TV in LA, I consider myself a Star Trek progressive where like, can you do the job? Doesn't matter if you're a black lesbian in a wheelchair or a guy who could be confused as my twin. You know, you just, you you all of a sudden get an equality view of things because you've dealt with so many different people that are just great. It's the, I mean, that, that to me in in the end is what uh, film and theater's cultural take is um, on my front is just you now have experience with all these people and you, you don't just recognize them as a, as a group. They're like, they're other people.
0: Inclusion of individuals. Yeah.
2: As opposed to, Oh, all blanks do blank. Yeah. Because now, you know, 300 blanks. Uh
1: (laughs) (laughs) You see, they don't all do blank.
2: (laughs) Right. Yeah. It's not, it's not all the same. And, and to me, it's, it, I think the best kind of life honestly is, um, getting various points of view honestly from a lot of different people so that you can grow like a really good character in a film like you know, yeah you put them in the place they don't want to be and they realize oh this is exceptionally helpful and yeah i needed somebody to have that influence
0: in my life so uh also we've been throwing around the term a uh, line producer a lot right could you explain for me because i'm I'm ignorant of uh, what a line producer is, right, how dare you? I know <laughs> um, this will come up again because I looked at the i m d b
2: uh, crew for the film today, and it's I was amazed at certain things um so a budget for a film comes in as a line item budget um in the end, it sneaks down into things like p a s or um Generators or this picture car, this cast member, each one is put out in a really intricate and specific Excel spreadsheet sort of looking thing. There are programs um, that do it, that that set up the structure at least for you. You have to put in the numbers and information. but each one of those things is a line. So it becomes a line item budget. A line producer is basically the person looking at the uh, creating the budget and keeping an eye on all things budgeting. Philosophically, um when somebody brings me a film to budget so that they can go out and um, do a deck or a proposal for um, learning for for obtaining funds or getting some form of uh, deal with the studio, whatever they're doing with their uh, script and whatnot. Um, I consider myself the first non-creative person brought on to a project. Usually you've got maybe a director, a writer, a uh, producer, maybe your DP, maybe a production designer, you know those sorts of people, maybe an editor. My job is to be black and white about numbers, and that's it. I am not there to tell you what's wrong with your script. I'm not there to suggest a shot. I'm not there to encourage um, casting a certain person over another person. My job is to simply support the script. And there are various reasons for doing that. Um, As I've gotten myself in trouble before, (laughs) when you start, um, oh, right, I'm a writer. I'll tell you what's wrong with your script. (laughs) I didn't like it. It was bad um you know, like, no my job is to um help um mm-hmm. make the film like what film do you see great i'm going to i'm not going to comment uh negative or positive on any element i'm just going to do my job
1: is it within like a line producer's um i don't know i guess cultural 30? allowance to mm-hmm. like look at a script and try to budget it and then you know be willing to tell the writer director producer whoever's handing it to you like hey these are like really exceeding what you said you wanted so if you're gonna cut down on something this is where i'd cut it down and maybe move scenes over here that might help your budget i like right. talking about it in terms of the lines is that allowed for the line producer
2: um that's a it, great
0: question ariana i was thinking the same thing it, it is it is and isn't
2: um there there's always this uh, i consider the I like to let the other people do the creative math, mm-hmm. but I can definitely tell them what's on the that the left-hand side of the basic equation of, okay, you have this gigantic car chase. Um, you see that we have multiple stunt drivers. We have multiple um, stunt vehicles that we're renting. We have to shut down a freeway. Um, we have to... Um, get a whole bunch of other cars around. We that we're it requires prep. Uh, This is a fairly big. um, Chunk of money. And we are $500,000 over budget. I I don't know (laughs) what I'm suggesting. Um, (laughs) But these are the two things I talked about. (laughs)
1: <laughs> right. right. Yeah, yeah. It's like a clue. And uh, I guess it's like, if Hint you do hints. your budget and you sent it in, and be like, these two areas are pretty expensive. Do what you will with that information.
2: Yeah, And then there's the other part of what a budget really is in the, in the end of what, uh, if we're trying to make money on a film, sometimes the biggest element is the thing that, um, is your trailer. It gets more eyes on it. So. You you have to be, the producers have to be able to do that math as well. Like, what are we, yeah, absolutely. Um, you're, yeah, like I, we, we can, we all know that we can find an actor capable of pulling this show off. Like this film could have a really good local actor, somebody who will pay for their own hotels and because they just, they want the opportunity, but nobody knows who they are um or you could spend a hundred thousand dollars on a name why would you do that you don't want to spend an extra hundred thousand dollars simply so that you can you know maybe sell it in china you know because that it's it's the thing that you want to do like you can make a mcdonald's burger or you could make a i'm going to go with red robin red robin burger they're all different ingredients and therefore a different price point but you know what you're going—you know what you're going for. That's why low-budget horror films don't really have a lot of names in them very often, because there's no need. But if you're going to do an action or um, uh, romantic comedy, you usually want somebody that you're familiar with, or a comedy even. You know, dramas you can kind of get away with unknown people, but you know, everything changes as well. So,
1: yeah, Ooh, that's fascinating info.
2: <laughs> i try I, if you you spend enough time in these rooms listening to it and you go oh right that thing, right that point so let's yeah. dive into
0: the fall mm. play on words intended ariana <laughs> can we get a review of this episode's film
1: Ooh, this episode's film is the fall i loved it um i i wasn't expecting to love it in the first few moments because the opening sequence was just a little bit like dramatic, like very <laughs> intensely dramatic and I thought, oh no, what's this gonna be like? And in a nutshell, this movie's about a um, a man who gets hurt um, falling, and this little girl who gets hurt falling, and they connect in the hospital and he starts telling her this whimsical story of heroes And it's all about, uh, I think, in a nutshell, it's kind of about how they touch each other's lives and mostly about how this little girl brings this light into this very, very dark soul of a man after everything he's been through. And it's a very beautiful story. And honestly, the thing that shocks me the most about this film is how, because I don't really like satirical anything, um, I live with it in some movies if I like the actor or whatever, but for the most part I have a hard time sinking my teeth and connecting to something satirical. And I felt like this movie did such I don't even know how to describe how they did it, but it was just this beautiful marriage of like these drops of satire, these drops of like whimsical fantastical impossibilities, while also keeping it so like grounded and heartfelt, um, that it allowed you to experience like the feeling of a comedy or the feeling of a drama uh, in, in a single movie, the layers of it were just so amazingly done. And um, I was really surprised at how much I liked it after watching the opening scene. And uh, I would give this movie, I would give it, a, I'd give this one an A. I really, really liked it. And you know I'm I am a sucker for happy endings, and so <laughs> it gave me it gave me what I wanted as a, as a simpleton movie seer. Um, so it it deserves it deserves the A.
0: Chris, mm. what made you choose The Fall, uh, for this episode? Why do you like it? How has it influenced you?
2: Um, as I love this film, um. And it it always feels like that gem that nobody has seen. And I've got a few. I think everybody in the indie film world has a few that they've seen that you you were invited to some screening at some point and you're usually reluctantly going. Um, (laughs) uh, And this one I saw in, I think it was 2006, 2007 with some indie film people. And it just... It hit, it hit it hit me like a baseball bat this this beautiful story um no actors that i knew at the time and still to this day there's only one in there that you really recognize and know
1: yeah
2: still not to the level of oh yeah i know the name lee pace it's oh that guy from the yeah he's he's a, <laughs> that guy category yeah but it was it married like you were saying this fairly simple straightforward um odd coupling of people who kind of needed each other this little girl um and this uh distraught man with this uh, sort of mythic epic quest thing that he was just making up on the fly and that lovely and it was it's such a beautiful film like the the just the the set pieces Um, although I found out that nothing is a set piece in uh, the film, it's all practical locations. It's such a beautiful film while also not overdoing those sort of commentary moments, which is, I think the death of um, the satirical thing. Like we know the joke, wham, 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 just hitting it and hitting it and hitting it. They do these lovely Beautiful moments, and I, I realized one of them that I just loved, and I it, it's one of those things that I rewatched it a couple times. Introduced a couple of friends to it recently. Um, they he's telling a story from his point of view, and he refers to one of the characters as the Indian, and the he thinks it's the guy from the uh, silent film he was doing. So he's thinking he's explaining an indigenous person in this story. But the little girl has been working with uh, subcontinent Asia Indian at the Orange Grove that she's working at. So he's in her story. It's in her mind. It's just like one of those, it's never really said, but you watch it you go, what? Does he mean, because they start say, so he's explaining the reason the Indian hates the terrible general odious in the in the film it's because he stole his squaw like but that's an that's an indian indian not an indian indian Um, (laughs) 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 but in her mind it's um it's this guy that she's been working with who's Mm -hmm. uh you know from india the the country like those things are just it's just a beautiful film they don't overdo it Mm -hmm. Um, and it has a lot of those moments of just, it grips you, even though it's silly at times. Mm-hmm. Like, really, truly silly. Yeah.
1: Yeah, it really is.
2: No, no I, I just love the elements of it. I've been a mm-hmm. comparative mythology guy for a lot of my life, and this was one of the, this did it right. In my opinion, for, for me, it, it did it
0: right. Mm-hmm. Fantastic. Uh, should we dive into the facts? And I, I would love to have a back and forth about the facts as well.
2: Got it. Mm-hmm. We all have
0: alternate facts now in this day and age. I mean, I, I didn't want to be the one to say it. A lot of, this, a lot of the stuff that's uh, in this show will probably us in uh, higher court. As it should.
2: Uh... uh tar- <laughs> <laughs> We're just doing a filmy podcast. We should absolutely be brought up on treason. Tra- <laughs>
0: sure. <laughs> sure. Tarsem Singh, or rather Tarsum, as he is credited by his first name, mm-hmm. is probably best known for directing commercials and music videos, mm-hmm. such as the video for R.E.M.'s night two hit, Losing My Religion. Mm-hmm. Uh, he also directed The Cell, his feature-length film debut, which was released in 2000. The Cell was a box office hit, earning over $100 million against a $33 million budget. Despite proving that he was capable of making a box office success, Tarsim decided to break Hollywood's number one rule. He put his own money into his next feature film, which he co-wrote with Nico Sultanicus. Did I get that right? Ni- Nico that's I'm, I'm that's, that's what I'm going with.
2: You might have different emphasis to make it truly Eastern European.
0: Right. But... And uh, Dan. I'll allow it. We do the best we right. can. <laughs> right. uh, Nico Sultanicus and Dan Gilroy. Notably, Gilroy would go on to direct Nightcrawler, which earned him a best screenplay nomination at the Oscars. Tarson wanted complete creative control over his next project, which meant putting his money where his dreams were. That passion project, 2006 is the fall, would roughly take Four years to complete. In order to film the sequences of the story within the main narrative, uh, Tarsum came up with a strategy to piecemeal the film together. He would only accept directing commercial jobs in foreign locations. Then he would fly out the cast members of the fall and use the same crew of his commercial work to film the elaborate story within the film's main narrative. Say what? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. It's kind of it like a... Yeah, right. Yeah.
1: <laughs> I... He's it, talking about being resourceful. Wow.
0: Yeah, he, he just he's like apparently, I, I imagine uh, that he must have like filmed the commercial in like a in like as quickly as possible, uh, in order to like get as much time with uh, with the film with with, with his real film.
2: Yeah, uh, and it look in I think they said in an interview it's twenty four or twenty five countries that are twenty four countries, right? Just because it once again it's just a beautiful film, yeah that does go all over the place. There's a montage that has them um in France and then <laughs> they're in egypt um and like uh, I, I want to put them in India and then someplace else like Russia or something just yeah like and some of them are short shots and some of them are them running around the Taj Mahal from all <laughs> Oh, my God. <laughs> right.
1: Yeah, I remember seeing that montage and just being, I, like, knowing that it was practical. Like it, I didn't know that until just now, but it, you could tell. Like, they are definitely different somatic areas, and it just was confounded by, wow, they really traveled to all these locations for this three-second shot right now? <laughs> yeah. That's impressive. I mean, it's really dedicated to what they wanted the film to look like.
2: And like he, now, not,
1: he did not want to
2: sacrifice a thing. No, and like now we do it with CGI, and he had a really interesting um, note yeah. on CGI for the film in an interview I uh, watched on it. Um, he he said that um, they they only use CGI to enhance. They did no green screen.
0: Yeah,
2: uh, because the the specific note he had was in um, Taj Mahal. There are these ugly telephone poles everywhere. So it was like CGI, just get rid of the telephone poles. And that blue city um, that I can't remember what country he was saying, there's a, there's a city that's painted blue. It it must be India because it's um, um, Hindu and Buddhist tradition for that spot where it's the blue city um, where all the little houses are. They said there were people on top of roofs and they're like, okay, just CGI those guys out. But we're not, we're not enhancing anybody. We're not, adding some giant beast where just everything is as practical as possible. CGI is only to remove things that
0: take away from the shot that we've got. Which is kind of brilliant. And a a lot of work on the production. Yeah. Yeah. uh, Chris, I'm sure you've heard of this, uh, hopefully. Um, Mm -hmm. But Orson Welles, uh, we've talked about him a number of times on the show. You know the famous, like how Orson Welles shot his version of Othello, right? Yeah, uh, please, please, uh, reinform. Gotcha. No worries. Uh, so literally he, he would, uh, film a little bit of Othello in like a con- in one country in like Morocco, for example, uh, he would film one shot in Morocco and then the reverse shot, he would film like, like months later, thousands of miles away later, uh, uh, uh later. And, uh, uh, after doing like a commercial job, like, like acting. So, like for example, there's one shot where a guy punches another guy in the face. Then that guy gets punched thousands of miles away months later. A
2: good punch. That's anime
0: level. Uh... Right. <laughs> right.
2: Yeah. yeah. That it's a, it's amazing because we uh, I've worked on a lot of films where our job, independently, is to figure out how few days we can shoot, mm-hmm. how we can utilize multiple locations in a clever useful way but what this film what this film tells me um a it it incredibly difficult to pull off yeah but that there was a vision and it was not going to be compromised that it's a labor of love and it like like i couldn't imagine um working a job where i get a call like six months after we shot some scene and like, okay, we're finally going to Thailand to shoot this commercial. Um, Can you get everybody together so that we can shoot this one scene? um, uh, Right after I'm done, I we're supposed to be wrapping the commercial for Toyota or whatever on, (laughs) on the 26th. So 27th through 29th, we'll be shooting the scene in Thailand and then, I uh, just send it to the editor, and we'll see you in another <laughs> couple of years. Yeah, <laughs> you don't know if it's going to be January. You don't know if it's going to be June, but we're got we got to shoot the other scene. Wow.
0: And, and ima- imagine keeping that cast together, yeah, throughout all that time. Yeah, what, the, there are rare
2: films that can do that it, it's absolutely difficult in the low budget world to even get some cast members to come back to do ADR yeah. like, because they made a mistake during filming um, like we just need you to go into a booth and say this line three times for a full day rate are audio booths all over the place do you have time to do it and it might take you six months to get that actor
1: Jeez.
2: ...into a room. So, like, this, I think he had to go after... I think the reason there aren't a lot of stars in it, if any, um, outside of Mr. Pace, is that they needed absolutely to find people who were banking their
0: careers on it. Mm -hmm. Like, this is the step. Another reason why the fall took so long to complete was that Tarsem insisted on filming the main narrative in which a Romanian-born child is told a story by a bedridden stuntman in a Los Angeles hospital in chronological order. Just so the audiences know, most films are filmed out of sequence based on the availability of the actors, locations, crew, etc. Filming in chronological order adds time and cost to film productions. In fact, filming the hospital sequences alone took 12 weeks. Oh my uh, gosh! That's long, that's longer than most film shoots. Right.
2: Uh, If we were budgeting this for low film, uh, I, I, it's about half of it. It's about an hour 20. So, um, probably around 60 pages. So maybe two weeks is what we'd really give it, um, in a first budget pass uh, from my brain as a line producer, but, uh, in the interview like that. And that little girl was so adorable and Right. Yeah. Um, for this film, uh, based on things that he said, and it makes sense that you would do it this way. Um, working with children is exceptionally difficult. Mm-hmm. He wanted a girl with the right, um, uh, accent or dialect to her. Mm-hmm. She didn't know a lot of English. Apparently he also never told anybody in the crew as well that Lee wasn't, that Lee was able to walk. Yeah um so that the little girl thought he truly was hurt. yeah. Like that level of... And uh, working with kids and trying to get those honest, lovely reactions that she has takes forever because you're basically having a conversation that you're filming because you can't say, can you say that with a little bit more emotion? You have to rely on the director and the actor, um, the adult actor, to get that uh, performance out of the kid yeah uh, i guess another fun thing that I, I read an interview is since she wasn't speaking english and she only talked to tarsem the director a lot she started taking on his um indian accent a little bit so she had they had to hire uh romanian uh romanian english speakers that tarsem would talk to to then talk to the little girl so she maintained her um accent
0: wow i didn't i i didn't know that oh my gosh i just saw yeah, it in i guess the when interview you're young wanted. you're
1: like impressionable right if you spend all that time with someone you're gonna pick it up faster than you know an adult would
2: yeah so that makes well, it, sense but all like all of that just is just a, just amazing right the like yeah. if you if you care about the performance you have to occasionally argue with somebody like me um
1: we need somebody who speaks romanian to talk with her on set
2: (laughs) well we don't have that in the budget (laughs) um we can shoot all of this in two weeks yeah but uh creatively we want this to happen we need this feel and if you're looking for a certain feel a certain look a certain location um Without spending a bunch of money on it, you you need to take your time. You you need to have those uh that you need to have the people the non creatives on your team to understand what they're attempting to create. Yeah.
0: yeah,
2: because most of the time, people like me, other production managers, what I would call a production producer, um the people like us who just are we're there for a, our paycheck. That's what we're doing. Rarely are we really engaged in the creative vision um, and we're just hoping we're just doing the job.
0: Yeah.
2: Right. So when a film like this comes along, like it reminds me of, it reminds me of doing really great theater pieces that um, transform half the audience by watching them because they're in the space with you Yeah. and you don't necessarily, you know, you're not going to make any money in the theater. <laughs> you know that what you're going to be doing is building something beautiful hopefully that and you don't even know why you're crying at the end of the film you just know that you are yeah yeah that's magic that's the magic of art mm-hmm. right like that's another reason i really love it is like i try to break it down and figure it out no idea i like it's you're watching a dude who's hurt influence the story and because of his connection to this child Turns it from a tragedy into a, um, you know, a, a heroic, epic moment, mm-hmm. and he he's he's saved by her wanting his story to go okay. Yeah. Yeah.
0: In order to uh, further convince uh, the crew that Pace couldn't walk, Pace walk. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, You're walking. You're welcome. Jeans, <laughs> What's that? In his Lee jeans is right, right, <laughs> or um, his Lee legs. <laughs> there you go. Well done, sir. Um, Gonna double down have, on the pups. <laughs> nice. Um, Tarsum uh, would have pace wheeled to the restroom by a male nurse. So that's another paycheck right there. Right, uh,
2: and uh, a a wheelchair
0: rental right yeah
2: but yeah like and i i guess the crew was a little bit cranky at him because like this wasted time um which reasonably i'd i'd lose How, how's they, your they, policy
0: they found 24. out on the last day of filmmaking they found out on the last day of filmmaking right uh, of the <laughs> film that he could walk
2: <laughs> I, i'd lose my shit yeah, uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like we've been doing all of this and Spending this extra, however much time, uh, like, you'd understand it, but there'd be a little bit of, but you can't <laughs> expect a whole bunch of people to keep that secret,
0: right? Yeah, yeah. It, uh, it would slip out. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, by the way, Lee Pace would uh, go on to play Ronan the Accuser and Guardians of the Galaxy and Captain Marvel. And that's where so, you know him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And he's one of the
2: Elven kings and one of the Lord of the Rings things and the Hobbit mm-hmm. trilogy. Yeah. yeah, right. Yeah, he, he likes. He's good at playing bad guys, apparently. But I really liked him as a, as a lead at, with with the acting training um, and working in theater and uh, film. Like he's he's a compelling actor mm-hmm. um, who doesn't necessarily look like he would be one. Yeah. Yeah. Um, like um, he's got he's got the chops as as we say.
1: Yeah, even in those like fantastical scenes where he's supposed to be like a little bit exaggerated, a little bit cheesy, it doesn't like take you away from what's going on. I mean, I guess a lot of that is director being a master um, yeah. and telling the actors what to do. All, none of those fantastical scenes felt too absurd.
2: Even though, just enough. They tried. <laughs> there was the some. Best- really-
1: when the sword broke (laughs) they're like (laughs) in the very first fight scene where you see the indian like hack one of the the dog soldiers Mm -hmm. i'm just calling them that because they sound like dogs it like instantly breaks (laughs) and it was my first moment of like oh this might be a bit of a satire because it was so ridiculous (laughs) but they just like keep it rolling
2: yeah it, it was great like i still like one of my favorite little moments is when the princess or his intended is revealed like, the little girl has to go to the bathroom. So they're having this dramatic sort of really cheesy, you know, uh, fairy tale love scene. Of, this is why my heart is doing this. My heart is doing... And she's just sitting there shaking like she has to pee, too. In the epic... it's just- uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> You have to go. It's right down the... <laughs>
1: right.
2: <laughs> they, they really... Uh, once again, it's just this nice little moment when
0: everything feels uh tense and the music too uh really helped. Mm-hmm. I think. Absolutely. By the way, uh speaking of uh filming in sequence, uh the the main actor, the main actress, the kid actor, mm-hmm. uh she showed up on the first day of filming with her front baby teeth missing. So if they had been filming out of sequence, they right. would have been screwed up because their her her, te- her the progression of her teeth growing would have been uh different from scene to scene, but since they were filming in order, uh her teeth were just grow they yeah. Yeah. That, yeah, w-
2: another problem that adult actors shouldn't have mm-hmm. we might have that problem but, right <laughs> <yeah>.
1: <laughs> being aware is the first step
2: because i uh, haven't have multiple actors like chipped a tooth on set and like okay immediate dental surgery yeah to make sure you can complete the film or he could just go Jim Carrey and Dumb and Dumber and actually get your tooth chipped, I think he did. Did that. he really? Uh, I, I double check me, but I seem to remember that being the case, where he was like playing Lloyd and Dumb and Dumber, and he got his tooth chipped. Oh, my God. So that he had a little bit of a
0: um going on. Oh, my gosh. Jim Carrey might be a bit eccentric. I think that <laughs>
1: might
0: be safe Ew. to say. Yeah, tiny. I, it's, I think,
2: yeah. It's possible. Yeah. Yeah, there, there's,
1: And thank goodness cool. for that.
2: <laughs> right? So, sometimes it really works out. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah.
1: I mean, thank goodness it's normal for kids' teeth to fall out. I think it added to her innocence quite a bit. But, yeah. man, wasn't she something? I couldn't believe how authentic she her was good. conversations were. The whole, <laughs> like, saving his soul conversation with the bread... Mm-hmm. I, I made me wonder, like, how much of this film is improvised? Is it improvised? Are these real lines and they just kind of have to chat with each other until they find the script lines? That's what it felt like.
2: Right. Well, what it sounded like from an um, interview from Tarsem was that he excuse me, gave her, uh, he gave Lee sort of the, almost like you're doing improv. like right? uh, this, is, this is the information we got to get out in this scene. Um, this is where the story's going. These are your kind of lines, but I'll let you know when we finally get it out of her. Yeah. yeah. So just, uh, I guess that line didn't elicit the response we're after. Let's, uh, <laughs> maybe those words you don't know. Okay. Because um, I, I loved her just, what's, what. what? Uh, I don't. It's not a lie. I didn't do a thing. It's uh, <laughs>
1: that was brilliant too. I'm,
2: yeah. You so what
1: mean I don't. Yes. No. No, I didn't lie. <laughs> yes.
0: I <laughs> the thing, and you say the thing, and I don't know the thing. And uh-huh. why? The fall had its debut at the Toronto Film Festival, where it received negative reviews. Oh. Uh, despite later reappraisal of the film, the damage had been done. The Fault did not receive distribution in the United States for over ten months, and when it was distributed, it earned three point seven million dollars against a thirty million dollar budget.
2: Ugh,
0: box office bomb. Sadly, yep. Uh, as it goes in the world of independent filmmaking, well,
2: it's not. It's not a sexy
0: film. It's not marketable. Yeah, yeah it, you don't have your usual
2: temple. The re, the cell, I think, is a worse film it's still a really interesting it's a beautiful film to watch it's exceptionally interesting the conceit of the cell uh entering the mind of a serial killer and just letting it happen is bananas like it is really a and you know uh d'Anofrio Vincent D'Onofrio. Uh, yeah If you've not seen The Cell, like, D'Onofrio being D'Onofrio. It was before they really... I think it was the film right around... You know, those films where the great actors of our time did the thing where everybody went, what? Like Gary Oldman in The Professional. Hmm. Mm -hmm. Or when you first saw... um, What's his name? Alan Rickman in uh, Die Hard. Yeah. And you're like, that guy can... Wow, well done. Like yeah. the the cell was D'Onofrio being D'Onofrio. It, amazing uh performance. And Jennifer Lopez wasn't all that bad either, although I think her best film role is out of sight. Um, which is another film I would have absolutely rec- I, I should have written down for this one. Um Wildly Under uh, Loved and a great soundtrack. Um <laughs> When soundtracks mattered, um, outside of the Guardians films. Um, Yeah, um, but there was this, but The the Cell is this beautiful film, very similar in its aesthetic. You can see the similarities, big, bold colors, giant set pieces, um, very mythologically based, um, but not as strong a film, in my opinion, as the writing. Um, but it does it, but you have J-Lo, uh, and Vincent D'Onofrio in a film that made a ton of money. And then you have Lee Pace who was unknown, still fairly unknown, like, Ooh, that guy sort of person still, um, Oh, right. That guy. Right. Um, you didn't have, like, if you put Tom Cruise in this different story. And I think you could, I think you could pull it off, but they didn't have Tom Cruise.
1: Yeah.
2: Uh, and it's not; uh, it takes it. It's a film that film people like. And you almost you had to, they had to make it for thirty million in order to do what they did, but
1: honestly, I'm surprised they made it for thirty million given what well, they did.
2: <laughs> well, I think it's the uh, it, to, to me it's the longevity of a thing i i would rather have this in my life and i think tarsem would as well i would we'd rather have small people infecting others with the fall because i i I would imagine that if anybody comes up to you and says five films that are beautiful like beautifully shot like this is one of those things that film people love to talk about Mm. like this is that film and it that it didn't make a ton of money um it's the difference between art and business right like there's some accountant who's pissed off right now about this <laughs> <film>. <laughs> like we didn't make any money on it i don't care i've never seen it and then there are the people like us who I, I i spent 30 bucks for the just the dvd not even the blu-ray version of it so that i could take it i had to dust off like a place my PlayStation Four. To go to a friend's place so that they could watch it, right? <laughs> yeah. Because it's it's that sort of film. Like you yeah. want it to be that.
0: Uh, could you? Uh, you mentioned in uh, your email to us that uh, there's a reason that's not like available to rent on streaming or stream. services or stream, right? Um, well, there are a bunch of films
2: from the early two thousands. Uh, Dogma being the most. Um, I think Dogma is the the best known one. Fortunately, I have like a really cool VHS or Blu Ray copy of it from back in the day. Mm-hmm. Um, I have a Blu Ray, yeah, because yeah, it's it's a fun film. Yeah. Um, that one is shut down because nobody wants the Weinstein's to make more money. Yeah, um, The Fall seems to just have not found a home. Um, Tarsem in an interview that I think was just a couple of days ago. Uh, I, I did a little bit of work this morning uh, to make sure that I sounded like a person. Thank you, thank you. Um, <laughs> it's like, <laughs> right, I think I know these things about the film. I should I, I should put them in my brain. Um, but it looks like he's trying to get Criterion to do it, and I think this is a perfect Criterion film. There are some films that are Criterion that, in my opinion, do not be Criterion. Like, <laughs> this is a cr- critically acclaimed film um the uh, I, ebert back in the day loved roger
0: it. ebert yeah just yeah. just i mean i'm sure just so people have more context roger ebert mm-hmm. sorry
2: mm-hmm. yeah no worries
0: um i shorthanded it um because i'm gonna
2: i'm gonna last name basins with, with with the eves sure <laughs> um, <laughs> as um, we're all right yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah t- to me there's this uh uh, and, and I'm going to assume it's in a couple of places. It's the, we need to make some more money back, so no, I'm not going to release it for that little. Um, which is strange as to why they don't have it streaming on Prime at the very least. I was um, uh, actually shocked that I couldn't get it on Prime and just put it in that, like, I love a couple of other TV series that, I didn't know we're going to come out. And so I just bought the season and it's up um, in my little prime owned video uh, collection. Couldn't find this. And uh, that doesn't make a lot of sense to me because you would imagine that they want to make the occasional 10, 20 bucks from somebody like me, but I don't know. Um, yeah, I've been looking as to the exact why, and I can't seem to find it, but that's my guess, is that they want to recoup more money, and they haven't made
0: the right deal yet. Mm. That's my guess, too. I, I haven't been able to find an exact reason, either. Yeah.
1: Yeah. yeah, I'm assuming that the companies are probably like, well, you didn't make that much money, so just throw it to us. It's not that big a deal. But he's probably seeing the value in the fact that the film is amazing, and it is worth more than what it made. So he doesn't yeah. want to be shortchanged for all the work that's worthy of being, you know, have a decent price tag.
2: Yeah, It's not like we've, it's not like one of those Marvel films that you're like, we've made a decent amount of money on guardians three. So we need to hold off um, until we get a better deal. This is a, a good film that deserves some money. And I also, I, I have no idea how you would market it at the moment to recoup tens of millions of dollars. yeah, You would have to honestly re-release it. And there's not much of a reason to do so for the public. Like I'd want to go see it at theater. Like one of the reasons I-, I have space out here, I'm hoping at some point, like this would be one of the first films that I put up on a, if I had a projector, yeah,
1: you
2: know, backyard, you know, popcorn and wine, something. I'm not sure how good that combo is, but, um, <laughs>
1: I think that sounds
2: great. Right. <laughs> salt the, the, salt, the salt, the salt, so much salt. Right. <laughs> the butter, uh, buttered Malbec, uh, uh, something <laughs> with just little kernels on the top. Um, right. I'm oh a mixologist now. Um, <laughs> but um, you know, like, it's one of those films. Some films don't need to be put up on the big screen, and this feels like, oh my god, I absolutely want to show this film. If I were teaching a class. On filmmaking like an intro to film i'd put this in there as um this is why we do it this is this is the dream when you start writing or directing or acting is to create something or cinema being a cinematographer this is what you do it's not every other job where you go i don't really need to go to the premiere i don't don't necessarily i'm i'm busy on thursday when you guys are doing the premiere yeah like this one, I'm like I, this is a film. This is a movie. I, I see. agree.
1: There's not really an element of filmmaking that it doesn't, you know, hit. You know, some, some movies are really beautiful, but they're lacking something in like the plot or the writing or some writing is so good, but the quality is low in terms of sound yeah. or something. And this movie does not do that. It hits everything that you want in a great film. So I'm really surprised that it didn't make more money. It was, maybe it was just the crowds back then. I mean, early 2000s were what, like action movies and comedies mostly.
2: Yeah. And, and the, the other part is that it's, it's, it's familiar. It, it rides this really nice line of being familiar enough, uh, but also new,
1: mm-hmm.
2: uh, which is the sweet spot in, in for storytelling, in my, in my humble opinion. Mm-hmm. And it does it does bring up a couple of like i looked up the why they have an r rating for it that was the thing that actually shocked me the most while looking through it an what? r rating yeah um, it's because of the violence and the attempted suicide
1: oh
2: and you're like violence no. there's not a lot of violence here
1: no and it's not like bloody or anything the bloodiest part is when he like impales himself at the end right which is kind of <laughs> which funny which is ridiculous <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Yeah. yeah yeah or the um uh, the, they they brought up I think it was in the the R rating report was the mystic getting the birds flying out while he was yeah um, and then the arrows which I thought was just a beautiful moment the the lay down death with the uh, the arrows in the, uh, the slaves um, uh, back when he lays down and on the bed of arrows that are impaled.
0: (laughs) That's an image.
2: Yeah. Right. It's a beautiful image. It's like, this is so tragic and sad, but it makes sense because he's like, I want all of these people to die horribly. So you little girl know that life is terrible. Um, And nobody gets what they want. Every death is tragic and horrible.
1: Yeah.
2: Um, You're not going to get a happy ending.
1: But he still had him smile and say, it's okay yeah it was almost like I want to show you all these horrible things, but I can't help myself. you know right. I'm still gonna have them smile for some reason that I don't understand
2: yeah no uh, to to and I think those are the things like like this is it's one of those really lovely things because I have my opinion as to why uh, he'd put that in there like that, but it's also this is why is this is one of those good films it's the uh, it's the coffee and pie conversation after watching. Yeah, Yeah. you're like oh that was really neat why would i do how many films make you do that yeah like where you go where you're like i want to go with this specific person i want to go watch this movie and then we're going to go get uh coffee and pie and we're going to sit there and talk about and this part that yeah (laughs) Yeah. that this is what i love about this film like most films now i feel like you put on the back in the background almost while you're playing on or like I watch TV shows while I'm budgeting or working on whatever else, and then mm-hmm. in comes a film where you actually have to like, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> stop and watch it. Like, right? I was yeah. supposed to be working, or
1: yeah, yeah. and you're not chit chatting about it in frustration either. You know, right. I feel like sometimes a lot of movies that try to be complex nowadays or try to like be super artistic, um, sometimes they lean on like the shock value almost you know they want to surprise you and in such a way that it leaves you kind of dissatisfied like really what was the point of that and you have to contemplate it in order to understand this movie i feel like i felt everything i was supposed to feel you know it it, it's simple in the sense that it takes you on the journey and it kind of tells you where to go in just an honest way and it's not trying to confuse you or shock you or make you contemplate existence forcibly it's just very natural and honest and like I said it takes you on that feelings journey to the point where afterwards you look at the art of it and you can you can understand and you can theorize and it kind of touches everybody in a different way and it's it's not something that leaves you like oh why do I have to think this through (laughs) you know you want to you want to feel through it you want to understand it
2: Right. It it just doesn't feel like one of those films that in in like film school or whatever, I have to write an essay on this crap. (laughs) Yeah. Like I want to explore it and figure it out because I'd want to emulate that. I want to, I'd want to do that sort of thing. And there are so few films that hit that note of it feels brilliant without trying to, without, without saying, look how brilliant I am. Yeah. Yeah. And a lot of films do that. Like a lot of thrillers. Like look at our twist. Uh, uh, Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Sure. (laughs) All right. Fine. Look at all our cool CGI monster thingies. All right. Yeah.
1: Yeah.
2: You did that on the computer, right? Yeah. Mm
0: -hmm. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Okay. Hmm. So I am done with my facts. Ariana. Chris, what are your final, final closing thoughts on the fall? Just to wrap everything up, unless you have more facts, Chris.
2: I'm gonna see if I do. I I made a little notes section. I just want to see why, what, what is happening here? Why do you not like me, phone thing? All right, fine, fine, fine. Uh, The one thing that from the
1: memory bank,
2: right? um, I'll try. Uh, The (laughs) one that uh, I really, that really interested me in the IMDb. for the crew on this one was that they it, normally you have like one line producer or, um, and then they hire a bunch of people in other countries, but they have line producers all over the globe. Like that it, scrolling through the credits on this one, it looks like uh, a James Bond film. Like it, it's insanity. The amount of team that put this together was it uh what well, was global it was insanely giant and i can't imagine the amount of work that went into it for the, the core team of producers because they just every time you have to hire okay we're going to this country we need an entire crew to make this happen yeah. you know, really. oh and they didn't shoot loss like fun the fun fact that i ran into they're like oh that's interesting. They didn't shoot LA for LA in the 1920s. They shot it in South Africa. What? Yeah, so the cars all have the steering wheel on the wrong side. No kidding. That's right. Yep. So they'll be dry you'll you'll see a car and go, wait. Like if you're really paying attention. Like what are those little Easter eggy things?
0: Yeah.
2: Yeah. And I didn't, I I never saw it and paid attention to it. I didn't see it in the movie. Go, ha ha, ha, ha. Yeah. <laughs> in the West. Look at that. Um, yeah. uh, it was one of those. Oh, uh, oh, that's interesting. Yeah. I guess next time I introduce somebody to it, I'm going to look at that and seem really cool and smart.
1: Yeah. I, you know, it, it makes sense. Cause if they were going for the whole practical effects things, you're not going to find a place in Los Angeles. That looks like the twenties. It's just, right. yeah, yeah. it'd be too hard in the early 2000s. So the fact they had to go somewhere completely on the other side of the world is amazing and impressive that they found it. Right. I mean, whoever that set person is, is like, I'm gonna go find it.
2: Right, the location find manager. Find the
1: 1920s Los Angeles over in uh, South Africa. I'll be right back.
2: Right, as opposed to the usual location manager, we need a garage and <laughs> yeah. a coffee shop and an office building and then three apartments and then a park. Yeah. <laughs> But it's a park. Uh this is like uh we need a giant ceremonial place because we have this map dance that a bunch of mystics do. Um we'd love it to be really green and (laughs) speaking of that scene, right?
1: I I swear I watched that and I'm like, this is where Avatar got it from. It's like identical to the tree scene in the first movie.
2: Right. I couldn't believe that. Beautiful. Um we run into a tribe in the middle of I, I don't even know where that is, but it feels like a Southeast Asia probably somewhere in there, maybe a Thailand. Uh, but God, that was beautiful mm-hmm. and simple. And you get it without them explaining it too much. You get it. Yeah. Um, like I think we all have it, it, it goes back to all that uh, mythology stuff. It's like we all without knowing what's going on, there's like something in us that goes, okay.
1: I can accept that.
2: Right. This, yeah, this it's primal, page. right? There's yeah, exactly. There's something. There's something in the back of our non-shirt uh, wearing, um, driving around brains that goes, "Yep." Uh, <laughs> okay, there's a magic thing happening. Nobody sits here and explains it. Mm-mm. Dude starts eating the map, having issues with it, and then all these guys just come out of nowhere and do this magical dance thing, which was so cool.
1: That was one of my favorite shots. When he's laying down, you think he's gone, and then all of a sudden all his homies come up out of the ground all at one time. It almost looked like a mudslide of people surrounding him. It was really cool.
2: It takes you back to those, uh, it felt like, and you can see the sort of music video probably approach to it with Mm. dancers. Yeah. Because dancers are really good at coming up with interesting ways of showing a thing through movement that Mm. the rest of the art world's like, uh, uh, uh Well, we could say it, uh, <laughs> we could paint it, maybe, uh, but yeah, the, the combo of the arts in here, I'm assuming they have a choreographer that was just like, okay, this is what we're going to do.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. My favorite set piece, though, is that giant piece of cloth in the middle of the desert. Right. With the crew all bloodied at the bottom and the red going up. Uh, that yeah. was my favorite. I couldn't believe that thing.
2: Was it? Wasn't it just and practical? They, they. I don't. I'm not sure if they CGI'd that. I almost think they must have, but
1: because it's so massive. I mean, the bottom portion was practical. I don't know if the actual piece was real, but like
2: right, when they do the long shot on it. Yeah. yeah it, it was. I really loved those elements of because it. It also wasn't. It made sense in the world. But it wasn't like this is the thing we're doing in every scene. Yeah, which is like this is just a nice, massive set piece. It's simple. Um, it it kind of reminded me of the art coming out of like Japan or China when it's just mm-hmm. so specific and clean. There was something very calligraphy ish about it. Yeah, it's something Crouching Tiger uh, about it. Like if you like Crouching Tiger, this is a very similar. Uh, beautiful film,
0: mm-hmm. or Hero. Yeah, I've seen Hero. Yeah, yeah. That, that's well, great.
2: And the story, the the story changing based upon the narrator and mm-hmm. why like Hero Hero confused the crap out of me the first time I saw it. It's like <laughs> this is profound, but I need to watch it like seven more times. <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> like I don't quite get it. I'm reading the subtitles, but I'm also watching the rain hit the spear, and the uh, yeah. There's a beauty to it that yeah. um, we just don't get when we're rushing film mm. in this space gosh so true right like, if you want to capture this is this is the the best lesson for people in why you take your time yeah
1: and don't compromise on on the vision you have for the film yeah
2: regardless of making the money back, it's one of the most beautiful films uh, that I have a feeling will stand the test of time because it. it's one of the nice things about shooting a film in a different era. Like if you're shooting 2023 for 2023, it's kind of locked into our time.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: All of a sudden it becomes the past as opposed to being a film shot in a different era that kind
0: of has a timelessness to it.
1: Yeah, I think so, too. Yeah.
0: Chris, my final question for you. Yes. What do you have to promote?
2: What I have to promote? Um, at the moment, not much. Um, uh, if anybody wants to fund film, uh, a film or theater project, please call me immediately. <laughs> uh, <laughs> okay,
0: can people follow you somewhere? Can...
2: Oh, I'm on Facebook. I, I'm such a country old man uh, in some ways. I have to get into those things. I'm uh, currently working on a one-person show about mental health and the arts that'll nice. hopefully work. Yeah, hopefully. I'm waiting on dates to premiere in Sacramento, get the bugs out, and then traips about the English-speaking world, hopefully. Uh, I hope I'm engaging and useful enough. Um, just producing a documentary at the moment that, um, should illuminate the, this will be completely out of left field, uh, for everything I talk about (laughs) producing a documentary about white hat hackers or information security Hmm. with the people that save us from being hacked and whatnot in for everything from ring doorbells to the department of defense. Nice. Wow. It's really weird. Um, (laughs) It's one of those educational experiences for me when I got hired to work on it. Yeah. Ooh, this is this is not your usual reality show. This is fantastic.
0: A lot of there's got to be a lot of interesting stories in the world of hackers and <laughs> avoiding and uh, defending us from hackers.
2: Right, and how much we don't understand. Yeah. Like we the muggles. Like <laughs> uh, I consider a lot of people muggles to various things. Like, you don't know, we. If I explain to you the job. Like you go, oh, I didn't know that exists, but that absolutely makes sense that that
0: exists. I do not know how I did not know that. Chris Smith, thank you so much for being on this episode of Behind the Flicks. Real quick. Real
1: quick. Andrew, I have not heard your voice enough on today's podcast. I want to know your thoughts, your final thoughts on this film. Yes, we always take your turn and you didn't take your turn this time. And I need to hear the brilliance of. Mr. Gentiles' opinion on this beautiful movie. Oh no. Hated <laughs> it.
0: Not enough no. sex and not enough uh no, I didn't okay, hold on. Hold on. There was a reason I was trying to avoid that. Um no. Um I thought it was good. I didn't think it was great. I thought it was good. Um I'm sorry. I'm sorry, I thought it's it was too hard. No, no, that's that's the whole point of the show is that uh, is that we all have different opinions, and yes. I and you know one of our previous episodes was Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. You know, mm-hmm. I try to treat each film with the same majesty as Citizen Kane or Lawrence or Arabia, mm-hmm. and Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. And this is you know anyway, my point being, which TM- TMNT was, was it? The 1990, the yeah. 1990.
2: Okay, so the really dark one. That, the, well, the the as compared to the latter, sure. Thing, make these guys a little more fun, please. Right. No, but no, uh, my point about... being,
0: my point being is, I try to judge all movies equally, mm-hmm. um, with the same majesty as I would with Lawrence or ABR, Citizen Kane,
1: yeah,
0: or Vertigo, or what have you. Right. Um, all films are hard to make. And uh, they all deserve a fair shake Yeah um, The fall I thought um, I, I, I thought it looked visually Very beautiful um, I think I, I, th- I think it was I, I mean it, it definitely I feel like I would like it more Upon seeing it again um, mm-hmm. And it's something that I'm gonna I, I need to sit on for a while I think it would have been um in like the hands of a Terry Gilliam who directed brazil and uh and uh directed uh all these all these crazy okay. movies uh like uh, time bandits. Right. i think it i think if if they had really lead into like the imagery of like a fantastic even more like a fantastical weird uh kind of imagery. Uh, and also kind of had more complex main characters I because it because not and maybe that was the right approach for the audience um of like uh, g- general audiences or just audiences who watch this film but in terms of myself, it just wasn't it didn't hit me in the same way uh as as would a little more just a touch just bit more complexity that's all mm. that, and and I, a little bit more of like uh like a jerk like a journey through the main narrative that's all that makes sense and um it, it's and the, i mean no
2: offense no oh uh, sure. well some take, absolutely some take it <laughs> um no Uh-oh. it's the journey of uh mythology a lot of the time yeah um, and it's one of the main criticisms of uh mythological Epics, like one of the biggest complaints about the modern audience for things like the Bible or the Odyssey or um, you you name it in um, older works that are um, you know, epic in format, is the lack of understanding how to novelize or really create complex. We just see the things they do, um, the things they say, versus you know you don't have like the, the the thing that would humanize Jesus to us today, if we were writing that character, you know, him going to a coffee shop. And you know, we, we don't have, we have perfect beings a lot of the time mm. doing these, doing these things like, Oh, okay. We don't, we don't humanize them. And, and the complexity um, angle is definitely in the, what are the faults of the character? What, what are they in the writing terms? What
0: is it? Um, The wants versus the needs, the faults versus the strengths. Yeah,
2: like, what is the character flaw? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, And
0: this guy, he does,
2: if you just took him straight, like, if you divorced the dream from it, just him telling a story to a kid, you would have a character that you're kind of like, dude, yeah, it sucks, but get over it. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. 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 Um, No, you're
1: right. I think that's fair analysis, because it is fairly simple i mean the little girl her whole history is is fairly simple and you don't see her greatly deal with it outside of the fact that she wants to hang around this guy because she doesn't have her father anymore yeah.
2: so it like episodes it, it feels like an episode yeah uh, like not a major character journey um yeah it, it feels like an hour drama sort of mid-season oh we're getting closer to the plot sort of yeah <laughs>
0: I should also do I, I have to say Tarsum is clearly an artist. Like it's kinda like to say that a work of art is wrong is, is kind of a moot point. It's kinda right. it's kinda like this Tarsum's clearly an artist. He he knew what he was doing, he knew the vision he wanted and he got it out there. It just wasn't my cup of tea. Yeah.
2: Right. As um, many artists are. Like, okay, I get it. Yeah. Meh, not for me. There are plenty of films in that I know people who have gone. This is amazing and beautiful and wonderful. I'm like, I I I love that you love it. <laughs>
0: yeah, I, don't I yeah genuinely. <laughs> no, I I yeah. I I was really hooked by uh, two se- by two sequences in the film, and the rest I thought were very good. Um, uh, range from very good to good. Um, yeah. The opening title sequence I loved. It, it was it was kind of like uh, it, it portrayed portrayed uh, the story uh, that it landed the uh, stuntman at the hospital while at the same time not directly telling it, if that makes sense. Yeah, it, uh, was, and,
2: it was mysterious enough. Yeah, you're Like, how do all of these shots as puzzle pieces come together? Yeah. And now on second viewing, absolutely, it's a
0: lot more fun. Absolutely. And then the second sequence I liked uh, was after... The child actor, uh, the child in the movie, gets a concussion and it le- goes into that animated sequence, right? That and and I was like, good. "Wow, they're really going for it." And then, yeah. uh, and then uh, the stuntman uh, confront, uh, like, uh, has the talk with the child, and he's showing all this emotion uh, immediately after the animated sequence. That was great. I wish they did more of that.
2: Right, and I could see it if you're a if you're a Terry Gilliam. I, I want to say City of Children. Uh, The French film with uh, Ron Perlman, Mm. Um, I think that's the right one. Uh, But yeah, if you're in the Terry Gilliam camp of like, I want fantastical and and weird, I can absolutely see how this film is the big, bold color, beautiful, not kind of um, dirty, tongue in cheek, Terry Gilliam approach to things.
0: They're like, oh, you're telling me a myth, eh, right? But I want it to be like this. <laughs> well, and again, I, I, you know, I want, I want. It, it, that's not really from as an audience member for me to say because this guy's an artist, and, mm-hmm. yeah. um, and, and it's not really. I, I try not to impose my will on a th- on a work of art. I'm just saying this is what I think. In my, for me, could be improved. That's all. Yeah. Yeah. And
2: and I would throw in there um, that'll change as you get older. Uh, I sure. definitely put force my will. on
0: <laughs> Oh, I see. I see.
2: It's like <laughs> that for me, it's like I love it when somebody does this. Like the I wasn't a big fan of the show Legion, mm. and it's right in my wheelhouse. It makes perfect sense why I would love that show, and I just found it okay. Loved Preacher, and
0: people have gone, why? Yeah. <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> because i do that's just me it's fine yeah. ariana has uh, frequently uh characterized me as like this uh artsy lover my one of my gen- genuinely in my top 10 fair films is the muppet christmas carol it's a lot of fun yes <laughs> outside of the
2: marley and marley song i think no that
0: would be... no i love that it's such a weak <laughs> moment in that how film. dare you how <laughs> dare you see I enforce my will upon the Muppets and they're brilliant and amazing. <laughs> Anywho. I've alienated uh, Chris enough. Chris Smith, thank you so much for joining our program. Thank you.
1: It's been lovely conversation. I love getting to know you and I'm fabulous and I totally respect your journey in filmmaking. and I'm really glad that you came on the show and helped support our help support our chat.
2: Very well, grateful. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. It's, it's always fun to do these sorts of things uh, because they're,
0: uh, it reminds you why you're doing what you're doing. Yeah. yeah. Listeners, if you have any comments, questions, or suggestions for future episodes, feel free to shoot us an email at independentcareerstudios.gmail.com. If you like this episode, please write a review and subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Spotify, or YouTube. We'd love to hear your feedback. Behind the Flicks was created by myself and Ariana. I wrote and edited this episode. My name is Andrew Gentile. This has been an Independent Career Studios production. (laughs) Sorry, I had to do that little... Uh, it's you perfect. have a little end tag. I don't know
2: why I had to sit through it.
0: <laughs> right, right. Yeah, okay. I could have had you left. I could have had you leave, and then, then come. Then Ariana and I could have done our own. that's such a sour note to end on. <laughs> right, <laughs> right.
2: Fair enough.
1: We like to be well rounded around here. You can't have you be too happy the whole time.
0: Right. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I like that. I get to be a brat with you guys. It's fun. <laughs> well. And I, I am used to being a punching bag. Um <laughs> it makes me feel welcome. Yeah, makes me feel at home. Oh man, uh, and we care now, about I want you, to so, do the therapy know. episode, <laughs> right?
2: Like, don't be that guy. <laughs> it's okay.
0: No, I'll be okay, buddy. Yeah.
1: Alrighty, uh, guys. Now
0: go get us coffee. <laughs> <laughs> agreed yeah, well uh, guys, thank it, you so it, it, much chris
2: well it's been nice I, i'm hoping to do a podcast uh, on mental health for artists at some point so Ooh. doing stuff like this lets me see different formats uh, secretly in world domination plans that's the sure uh, um
0: sorry no go ahead oh,
1: nothing <laughs> <laughs> i had i had fluff comments about coffee
0: <laughs> yes i think we all right. have
1: ours
2: yeah uh, i'm nice I've uh, got just old, old Yosemite oh, National nice. Park. That's up. a cool mug.
1: I got a science.
2: There you go. See, uh, nice. Oh, okay.
1: Andrew wins.
2: Uh, <laughs> no, no,
0: no, Superman. Yosemite, Yosemite. That's a pretty good this, one.
2: This is just like old grandparents. Mug. I, I'm really leaning into being uh, in my mid 40s. Just like, fine, <laughs> bring it on. What do you mean? You're like
0: 23, right?
2: No, this 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 whole thing is moisturized 44. <laughs> <laughs> no, come
1: on now. No. Yeah. Seriously, I've got a niece, she's like in 7th grade and I'm never allowed to use the old comment for the most part, but when I'm around her, I lean. I'm like, "I'm old. You take care of this for me. Listen to everything I have to say."
2: <laughs> but it's it's great. I love being this age as people of finally as, as anybody under 30 knows um, they start actually taking you seriously like you know what you're talking about yeah. um, sure. and you've finally decided I don't care about these things yeah. um, and it doesn't matter if other people know I don't care no, I, do you want to go to this no
1: right.
2: <laughs> <laughs> love you guys I wish you all the health wealth and happiness in the world but, uh, I want to do that. <laughs> that is <laughs> not important
1: yeah they understand the no and they take it right you
2: know. yeah or or they don't but you don't care yeah that's 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 the real power of uh aging it's like i figure myself out well enough uh, i'm okay i don't need to do that and yeah. if somebody doesn't like it then they're not your person that's fine
1: yeah agreed i love that i love this life lesson interlude to movie talk yeah.
2: I've been doing a lot of thinking on it uh, recently. Like aging kind of sucks because of the knees and the lower back and all that fun stuff. But the no, I'm good. I don't need to do any of
0: that crap. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> unless you have a, unless you have kids, in which case, you, you, yeah, that's a right. whole other yeah. world. Yeah. Right, and I don't. I just have um, good for you a puppy
2: and Aww. kitty and a bunch of cows.
1: Nice. <laughs> I have to ask because it's killing me. Is that Tyrion Lannister on your back wall? Yes.
2: yes. Um, it, it, as, as my role is generally a executive weirdo, <laughs> uh, I need Tyrion to remind me, uh, never forget what you are. The rest of the world will not yeah. um, wear it like armor and it can never be used to hurt you.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, He's got the greatest quotes of that whole show. I mean, everyone's got their one-liners, but Tyrion's the master.
2: Yeah, that one when it came out made me uh, get a little weepy because I was like, that is the best way to talk to other artists and you hope that they get there. They're like, you're an artist. You're weird. It's okay. Yeah. You know, um, you have a job to do and thank God the rest of the world is not weird like you. Um, We need them. They need us. That's all.
1: I think this movie is a perfect example of somebody very weird making a brilliant film.
2: Right. Have you seen some interviews with Tarsem? I was just watching a couple this morning to like bone up. So yeah. I thought I knew stuff about the film and then went, I should make sure I know stuff about it. <laughs> <laughs> Like that dude, I can understand why there's a little bit of, like can you imagine negotiating with like a distribution deal with that guy sometime? Right. Like, you're a little intense and seem to, God, I don't like casting aspersions, but there is that feel like I've been in the room with that guy. Oh no sort kidding! Of that yeah. sort of person. That sort of person. Oh, mm-hmm. um, yeah. I, but you're like, I don't know if you know what you're talking about. <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> you seem very confident, and you're very yeah. demanding. Yeah,
1: whoever invests cool. in this movie is really taking a leap. I feel like.
0: Right. Well, we'll get to that. We'll get to that. I, Ooh, I, yes. I, I, have my facts here. I have my script here. Cool. I, I wrote down some notes as well. I
2: hope uh, because it's such a, yes. a We could talk for like two hours around the film.
0: Yeah, all of the nonsense that I got time, right? Yeah. <laughs> um okay, so uh, so uh just to let you guys know, uh, I am absolutely 100% going to edit this into the main uh-huh. uh main uh conversation, but this whole thing cuz this is it's great, but mm-hmm. I now I need to do the introduction.
1: We did our prelude. <laughs> we did uh,
0: we, we, we 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 I'm going to edit right. this the this conversation into the main uh, ah. Conversation, because I do have questions for you, Chris. How dare you? I know. <laughs> yeah. Oh, r- Rando, you're awake.
1: <gasps> is this the doggy?
0: This is this is the Rando.
2: Durando, wow! I'm on my ball. <laughs> uh, it's my baby Durando. Oh, oh,
1: sweetie. Yeah. This is the one that you almost ran over.
2: Yeah, and then he lost an eye, and then he got sprayed by a skunk. Hi, bud. Oh. I know. I love you. <laughs> Like, I don't like being on cameras. Don't make me do it, Dad.
1: <laughs> You're too bad. You're too That's bad. That's the
2: thumbnail. That's the thumbnail. <laughs> it's baby Randall. Like, look. look yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: Oh, my gosh.
2: Fantastic. What,
1: what a sweetie.
2: Yeah. Go get him, buddy.